Hi guys, it's been a while since I last uh, posted an episode. Um, what have I been up to in this episode? I just want to talk to talk to you guys about what I've been up to in the last couple of months. I have been learning how to code, okay. Um, and this happened, I think, around in November. I taught myself Python. Well, actually, I taught myself Python back in twenty eighteen. And in 2020, kind of dabbled in it a bit. And I became a serious Python student in November last year, 2022, up until today. And I've been building neural networks. And it's been fun. I mean, ChatGPT came out, took the internet by a storm. And now there's been a lot of buzz and everyone is crazy about um, these language models, uh, these transformer language models. People are going nuts. And I read an article by Andrew NG. He's, he's probably he's the guy. He has a course on Coursera and I took his course on machine learning. Helped me a lot. To understand machine learning. Machine learning is basically just a field of computer science. It has to do with statistics. You have to know a lot of math, maybe um, statistics and calculus, derivatives. So these neural networks are nothing but mathematical expressions. Fancy way of saying mathematical sort of like models or formulas. They're nothing but um, math maths. Like if you know math, you know, if you know statistics, and calculus, basic calculus and statistics. You can build these things, very simple. And coding is not that difficult. I mean, the code is simple. So, I mean, you have to learn, but once you get better at it, it becomes easy. Everything is hard when you are bad at When you are bad at something, it is hard. When you become good at it, it becomes easy. So that's what I've been up to. I've been like studying AI. There's been a lot of buzz. I myself took an interest in artificial intelligence, I think back in 2017, 18. And it was through Ray Caswell. Okay. So in 2016, I read Tony Robbins' book, uh, Money Master the Game. And in that book, he mentioned a, a futurist called, by the name of Ray Caswell. He's an investor. The guy probably has about 60, 60 PhD. I mean, back then he had about 51, I think. Now he probably has about 60 PhDs. He's called the Thomas Edison of our time, Ray Caswell. He wrote the book, Singularity is Near. And by far, I mean, he's, he's been mentored by great AI pioneers like Frank Rosenblatt and um, Marvin Minsky. These are AI pioneers. They are the ones after Alan Turing, who came up with the famous Turing tests. Now, there are four things that holds the development of AI back. Why now we are seeing the advancement? All these expressions, mathematical expressions, were developed a long time ago. Like uh, Rosenblatt, um, he was the one who invented the, the neural network. Apart from the neural network, we have other statistical, uh, mathematical formulas or expressions. 
we have like, or you can call them algorithms. They're just like fancy mathematical expressions or formulas. You can have, um, there's one called linear regression, the famous one that we know about, you know, your x-axis and your y-axis and, you know, your slope or your gradient, or just a fancy name for slope, equals to mx plus c, where m is your um, y-intercept. I mean, sorry, c is your y-intercept. And then you have mx plus c. m would be your slope, I think. Yeah, I think m would be a slope. So that's linear regression. Then you have logistic regression. Regression, the regression is a fancy way of saying the output is a single number. In statistics, they say a continuous um, value, which is just a single number. So you have that. You have um, random decision trees, random forests. These are different mathematical. So those are apart from neural networks today. So neural networks and all these algorithms are now um, more useful today. And the reason why they are more useful today is not because of any breakthrough in algorithms. It's just the same algorithms that these famous pioneers pioneered before, okay? It's not a new invention of some new technology. No, the technology already exists. The only difference is now we have the computer power too. We have, number one, the computer power, and we have the data, big data. We have a lot of data, which these models, these powerful models need. And we have the infrastructure, right? We have a lot of, like in coding, in Python, you have all these codes that, you know, do like we have a like we have they call they are called libraries right so all the codes that you know some developers built they store them in files called libraries and for me if i want to build something instead of building it from scratch i can access those codes and build on top of it so that's like the infrastructure development of it so we have modules and libraries that are built we have the infrastructure we have big data and we have the computer power we have the hardware Okay, we have a lot of memory and processing power, all these um, semiconductor silicon chips that are inside our hardware allow us to process a lot of data simultaneously at the same time. So that has given the rise to these um, algorithms that now we can apply them and use them to build cool applications. So... Now we have all these models, right? So now people are saying that our oh, software is going to be replaced by models, right? So we'll have model as a service as opposed to software as a service. And I think it's true. These models are going to um, revolutionize the way we do things. Um, just look at chat GPT, GPT-3, what it's doing right now. We have a lot of these generative models. So you have these models, statistical models that generate texts, videos, um, voices, sounds, so you can, you can generate sounds, you can generate text, you can, so you can create, like, create anything that you want to do, right, so everything, like, it gives you these tools to, for creators to create cool things, but who owns all the power? It's the companies that have the hardware and the talent, right, and if they're resourceful, they, they continue to lead, but everyone can anyone can build these models so it it sort of it it becomes like a commodity now what's not a commodity is even even data like with data there are different techniques that like people are saying that oh yeah but because if we have these models the only difference is that those who have proprietary data 
you can generate data. You can augment data. There are techniques. Like I've read two textbooks. One deep learning textbook that's like almost 800 pages. I've read through the entire book. And then I've read another one that's about more than almost 600 pages. And I just completed it a couple of days ago. And I'm telling you, these are not like books about AI, how it's going to impact or affect the society. These are technical stuff, how it's built, um, the main idea behind, you know, AI, these neural networks and these algorithms. The technical stuff, the heavy, heavy technical stuff. And there are ways to augment and create data. Simulation, we have data augmentation. These ways, like, you don't have to have a lot of data. And then you have, like, there's a, there's, a, there's a way to, like, you can use a model that's already been trained, and it's called transfer learning. So I can, I can like, fine-tune a model like GPT-3. It's already been trained on a huge data set. All I need to do is, if I want to use that model, I don't have to train because GPT-3 has about 175 billion parameters. Parameters are just those weights. Um, so in neural networks, when you you input, so we're trying to make a prediction, right? So we want to use that model to make a prediction. When we input data into the model, it is combined with some some random numbers called parameters. Those parameters are updated through the process of training those models, so that it can give us an accurate prediction of whatever it is that we want, whether we just a class of things, so it's a probability distribution or whatever it is that we want to make a prediction on we update those weights and that process is called training so we update it to find the weights that gives us the least the most accurate prediction that we want to find and by the way although like people say it's modeled after the brain it may be modeled after the brain but think of an like a plane right it does not a neural network does not work the same way a the brain works. I say it because if you look at the if you look at a a plane, a plane flies, right? Just a bird flies. So we model the plane after a bird, but that does not mean that the mechanics of how a plane works is the same as how a bird works. It's completely different. Okay, a plane does not have wings that flaps and you know transports us from one place to another in the in the sky. So we have these parameters, 175 billion parameters. I can use that model on a small data set. So I don't need a huge data set. So that, that, um, that notion of, oh, you need a lot of data, you don't. With transfer learning, data augmentation, all these techniques, you don't need um, a lot of data. So it's not data. So what makes this technology proprietary? What makes you, like, if you want to be in AI and if you want to stand out, what makes you proprietary? It's the hardware, it's the chips. That's why China and the U.S. I mean, I've I've seen in 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 the media in on YouTube that it there's a there's a war right now. There's a technology war on chips, right? Who can make the silicon chips? These pro processors that make up every electronic device, right? We need chips, powerful chips, and it's the reason why we're able to build this. These applications, we're able to build powerful computers. We'll be able to build powerful smartphones. Your smartphone right now has more processing power than 
the computer used to take the rocket to the moon in the 1960s. That is how, that is how powerful it is. And also there's a question like, will ChatGPT replace Google? Okay, I read an article by Andrew, Andrew NG, and um, he, in that article on LinkedIn, he stated that it will not disrupt Google's business. It won't replace Google in the short term. It may be, it may replace Google in the long term, but not in the short term. But what Google could do is that Google can, um, because the reason why is because ChatGPT is only trained on Wikipedia, most of Wikipedia and the internet, but not a good chunk, because the whole internet would be more than, I think, 5 billion gigabytes worth of information. I think around that number. That's what he stated in the article. And ChatGPT3 can only be stored in like, I don't know, you need like 800 gigabytes of um, of storage space to keep it in. So the data is, is overwhelming. Amount of data out there is overwhelming. And it's it's all over the place. So what he suggested is that um, we have like sort of like an augmented generative sort of like a model where when there's a query typed in, search for the specific page, and then the model can go and train on that page. So if I was searching for for uh, information on rockets, the model will. If I was searching for information on rockets, the model will go. Um, it will let Google search engine algorithm find the find all the relevant pages for um, rockets, and then a model will. Um, it will be fed all those pages. Data will be extracted and fed into the model, and then the model will answer our query. So that is the best way that I think Google can um, use a model language models to improve its services. But the problem is, like the business now depends on ad revenue, right? So those ads are placed next to those um, search queries. So when you have like a query like that we type in, and the model gives us back the answer, where will the ad be shown? You know, so that's a problem. Like, I mean, I'm sure all problems can be solved. Nothing is impossible. I believe almost nothing is impossible in a digital realm. And Google has, has a lot of mouth and has a lot of, um, uh, it has a very strong fundamental and it's not, it, it won't disrupt its um, business. So Microsoft can try, Bing can try, but to Google it would be in integrating it into the search engines and how to use it with the search engine to make its search business more robust and to make its search business more robust. Google is big. Google owns, you know, uh, is the like Google owns the Android um, operating system. Google has, you know, the search business. It's a monopoly. It has a monopoly in the search business, and that's what Andrew stated in his article that it won't, and it will not affect. Um, ChatGPT won't affect Google's uh, business. 
So it's an, it's an interesting time to live in. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be living in a time where we can see these AI revolutions and see these cool tools being built. And yeah, I'm excited. And I'm glad that, you know, I was learning code. I, not learning. I went back, was like going back to code again because I wanted to build a very solid skill set in programming. And that was before um, ChatGPT came out. I think ChatGPT was released in November, late November, 22nd of November, I think, which I was learning code by then. And I discovered it mid-December. I discovered ChatGPT 3.5 mid-December. I didn't even know it was out. In 2020, I think, it wasn't released yet. The first model wasn't released. I think it was released in 2019, 20. I'm not really sure. But there's two models, ChatGPT, ChatGPT 2, and ChatGPT 3. And this is the latest one, ChatGPT 3.5. And then there's going to be 3.4 as well. But, but we will see. I mean, because of computer power, compute power, we have powerful chips. We are able to train it on huge, and we can create more memory. We can train and build these very, very powerful models and train it on huge data sets. Remember, it only trained on a very small chunk of the internet. People are saying big chunk of the internet, but it's a very small chunk of the internet. The internet is massive. And once it can train on the internet, I think, I think it's going, I think it's going to be really powerful. Like it will become something close to strong AI, to super um, artificial general intelligence which everyone is talking about. So the difference is this is a narrow, narrow AI, narrow intelligence. This um, cannot generalize. They cannot, what they mean is like they cannot do everything. They can only do certain tasks, right? ChatGPT can only respond to queries. It cannot generate videos. It cannot generate, you know, um, a lot of complex query, uh, answers to complex queries. And it's not that smart yet, yet. Keyboard is yet. Um, and these models, all these different models are um, all focused on different um, different tasks, specific tasks. You can combine to them together. For example, I can use one that generates text, that is GPT-3, put it into a another model that generates sound. It can generate the sound and I can put it in that sound into another model that generates um, images or videos and make up a content. Right, which is very powerful. So I can use three different types of models for that. And yeah, I could do that. I could use three different models for that. And um, but the most important thing is uh, AGI. Those are just specific tasks, right? So the artificial general intelligence is a model that can do everything, and a model that has consciousness and is a you know, a gazillion times smarter than human beings can improve on itself, write its own code and improve on itself. Um, yeah, that's it. So that's something that I've been, um, that's what I've been up to in a couple of months when I did not post anything, I'm sorry. Um, but I'm glad you all waited. And um, yeah, that's all. Thank you all for listening and um, see you all in the next episode.